1: Today's special episode is by Lauren Quigley, a Ph.D. candidate in French studies at Queen's University, Belfast, Ireland. Her dissertation, Parisian Poesis, Architecture and the Aesthetics of Contemporary French Poetry, explores the relationship between aesthetics, architecture, and form in the poetry of Jacques Redat, Jacques Roubaud, and Michel Albeck. Today, Ms. Quigley will talk about the concept of the flaneur, a near-exclusively French idea centered around life in 19th century Paris. The flaneur is a man who can walk through the twisted streets of Paris and observe society without being affected by it. The flaneur was especially important in the tumultuous 19th century. First, Napoleon III tore down vast sections of Paris and installed the Grand Boulevards, then industrialization rapidly altered the city. Caught in the midst of change and constant upheaval, the flaneur is one who lives within the society, but is untainted by it. Miss Quigley will introduce us to the concept, its development over time, and how the idea has persisted, even being portrayed in major films such as Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris. Please enjoy.
0: search of the question what is a flaneur yields 619,000 results. It's a term you might have heard generally used to explore a casual exploration of the city through aimless walking deriving from the French verb flaner meaning to stroll or to walk in a leisurely manner. This term is commonly employed in conjunction within the context of walking in the city of Paris where the practice has its origins. But where did the term come from within Paris? What does it actually mean? How does this practice of walking sit with regards to the of 2020? Can we navigate the city in an alternative way? These are some of the questions we'll aim to address during the course of this podcast episode. My name is Lauren Quigley and I'm a PhD candidate in French studies at Queen's University, Belfast, Ireland. My thesis, Parisian Poesis, Architecture and the Aesthetics of Contemporary French Poetry, Examines the relationship between architecture and poetic practice in the work of French poets who take the city of Paris as their subject. Today, I'll be walking you through a brief history of the practice of flânerie, focalising on 19th-century Paris as the city was rebuilt under the direction of Baron Haussmann. We'll look at what characterizes this practice, what doesn't, the problematics of the practice and how it has undergone various changes and deviations during the course of the 20th and 21st century. At its core, Keith Tester defines flanerie as the activity of strolling and looking which is carried out by the flaneur, a recurring motif in the literature, sociology and art of the urban, and most especially of the metropolitan existence. The flaneur, then, is little more difficult to define, but is widely acknowledged as a dandified male, stemming from the 19th century, a product of this new bourgeois class of males who strolled through the brand new streets and boulevards of Haussmann's Paris. In her attempt to define what the figure of the flaneur actually stands for, Rebecca Solnit posits that, among all the versions of the flaneur, as everything from a primeval slacker to silent poet, one thing remains constant – the image of an observant and solitary man strolling about Paris. She also acknowledges that it is this specific figure, from a cultural perspective, that dominates the discourse on this term, especially within Francophone culture. It says something about the fascination public life exerted over Parisians, she says, that they developed a term to describe one of its types, and something about French culture that it theorised even strolling, So far, so good. With that settled then, let's dive deeper into the history of the term so that we can understand how we arrived at its 19th century standard definition. Interestingly, in the Romantic era, the verb flaneur and the figure of the flaneur were not necessarily that which were made popular by the definition we now know of today, this 19th century dandy figure. As Nesky notes, the 1808 Hôtel's Dictionnaire du ballonage defines the flaneur as walking from one place to another without any real motive, leading a vagabond and nomadic life. Similarly, the flaneur is described as a truly lazy man, an idle man, a man whose idleness is completely insufferable, a nuisance, a man who doesn't know what to do with his ennui. So, the foundation is set here for the act of walking without motive. The flaneur, on the other hand, is described as a lazy man who doesn't know where to walk in order to relieve himself of his boredom. Moreover, in the context of the 18th century, flanerie was not always a solitary act. French Romantic walkers, in particular, were known for having compagnons or companions. Jean Jacques Rousseau one of the most famous French walkers and thinkers in history, on the other hand, explored the concept of solitary walking in a rural context. In his canonical text Les Confessions, Rousseau utilises walking as a means by which to work through ideas that reveal themselves. I can only meditate when I'm walking, he says. When I stop, I cease to think. My mind only works with my legs. Yet, The difference between this principle and practice, between urban and rural walking, is that, as C.W. Thompson states, rural walking provides an exhilaration of a consciousness freed from concern with others. As is easy to imagine, within the confines of the city, it is difficult to achieve this same effect. It might therefore be wishful thinking to assume that Rousseau's model of walking as a quiet generator of ideas may also apply to the city that we navigate today. So speaking of the city and its confines, in order to understand the context in which the Flaneur moves in the city, let's now move on to briefly explore haussmannisation. The process of a total renovation of Paris, as carried out by Baron Haussmann between 1853 and 1870. Responsible for the boulevards, avenues and apartment buildings, which has been characterised as a uniquely Parisian features that you recognise in the city today, the process of haussmannization both destroyed the city and rebuilt it from the ground up, granting Napoleon III's wish of a city characterised by the glory of the French Empire. Napoleon's device plan to ensure that the city would rise to become the industrial, intellectual and cultural capital of Europe, however, soon became overshadowed by his increasing frustration at the slow pace of his engineers to carry out his plans. The city was an integral part of his retention of power, and he was perhaps among the first of leaders to realise the importance of this relationship that the planning of architecture had with his political and personal space within the city. Napoleon himself planned to embellish the city, planning open new streets, make the working-class quarters, which lack air and light, more healthy and lead the beneficial sunlight to reach everywhere within our walls. Thus, the city becomes doused with bright colours, the yellow of the sunlight, the sand-coloured buildings and the brightness of new ideas in itself reflecting a type of second enlightenment, an urban enlightenment that sought to bring the city from darkness into light. Leisurely activities such as flannery, and outdoor events in the new green spaces such as the Bois de Boulogne in the northwest of the city served also to remind citizens of the sacrifice that the previous generation of Parisians made for the city in order for them to enjoy and maintain the city as it was under Housman's renovation. As a result, the flaneur's experience becomes a lot more meaningful than simply wandering the street. It became particularly politically charged even if unconsciously so. It's no wonder, then, that the urban poet is simultaneously linked with this notion of flanerie. That, however, risks digression. And so, back to what this means for our flaneur. The urban scene is now set for our flaneur, placed in Paris, which Walter Benjamin terms the capital of the 19th century in his canonical text The Arcades Project. A city entirely new and unfamiliar to its residents, it's this capital of the 19th century that places the flaneur historically as a product of this housemonisation. Culturally, the sketching out of this figure primarily stems from 19th century poet Charles Baudelaire, who bases his perception of the flaneur on the painter Constantin Guise, who may or may not have actually existed, and writes about the figure in his essay, Le Peintre de la Vie Moderne, or The Painter of Modern Life. The crowd is his element, Baudelaire states, as is the air that of birds, of water, and fishes. His passion and his profession are to become one flesh with the crowd. For the perfect flaneur, for the passionate spectator, is an immense joy to set up house in the heart of the multitude, amid the ebb and flow of movement, in the midst of the fugitive and the infinite. To be away from home, and yet to feel oneself everywhere at home. To see the world, to be at the centre of the world, and yet to remain hidden from the world. Impartial natures which the tongue can but clumsily define. The spectator is a prince, who everywhere rejoices in his incognito. In this essay, Baudelaire identifies the figure of the dandy as the perfect flaneur. But who ultimately is this figure? It's important to refer back to Baudelaire's definition of modernity here in order to answer this question. Modern life in the city of Paris, he claims, is taking part in the transitory, the fugitive, the contingent. Similarly, Baudelaire identifies the figure of the dandy as the eternal and the unchanging. Of course, he is also fugitive in that he escapes from the heart of frivolous society values in the new city in which he attempts to find his fate. Interestingly, however, this dandified flaneur is part and parcel of a contingent, appearing only during transitory periods when his artifice is most required for the sake of art. Thus, he is the embodiment of modernity in every sense of the word. Yet, with modernity comes preoccupation, manifesting itself in the dandy through this apparition during transitory periods, such as the uncertainty that is 19th century society. Perhaps, then, it is futile to consider the dandy's place in the future of society if he is indeed truly transitory. Whilst Baudelaire mediates between him and the transitory and the eternal, he proves that he, at least, has an important literary functionality, portraying modernity as multifaceted while posing as an attractive, yet also dynamic and critical piece of art in the city. It is precisely this art, so perfectly captured in the Dandy, that deflects from the confusion of reality in the city. In this way, this same dandy represents a much larger piece of art. He is the perfect personification of Haussmann's Paris. Its exterior aesthetically pleasing, morally, physically clean, yet on the interior suffering its very own identity crisis, fearing the future, even suffering from a new self-diagnosed mal du siècle, blaming his ennui on society. Similarly then, Richard Sennett notes that to Baudelaire, Much of modern life had indeed gone stale, especially life in Paris. He goes on to speculate that the Parisians of his day seemed bored by themselves as much by one another. Henri, inner indifference coupled with constant dissatisfaction, irritation and relentlessness without cause or goal. So then let's pivot slightly to discuss how this imperfect embodiment of the sentiments of modernity flowing through the poetry of Baudelaire, have become a constant within the figure of the flaneur. Even for the poets of Paris today, the struggle between utopian ideals of the city and the struggle to place make on a personal level compel them to walk, and also to write. There is therefore this special relationship between poets and walking. Literary critic Christopher Prendergast, for example shows us how the language of the French merges together walking and poetry. He considers the nuances of the French term tour, detailing the fact that the term signifies not only physical turns and turnings, but also of turns of phrase, as well as the concept of a detour. So, as the city's streets transport the poet, so too does the poet transport the city through their writing, creating a unique journey that cannot be followed by anyone else, hence the popularised concept of the flaneur. In summary then, in the dominant context of the 19th century figure, the flaneur is a dandy, a poet, an artist, middle to upper class, likes to walk in the city and likes to be part of the crowd. He's bored, and crucially, he is always white and always male. And the city becomes more open and more accessible, it's already clear how this figure is quite specific to 19th century Paris. Yet we've also been unable to move the figure into the 20th and 21st century with a solid definition. We've witnessed many instances of walking in the city, in the literature, films and photography that we've all come to love. Yet depictions of contemporary flanerie in cultural productions such as literature and film are actually quite problematic. Take for example Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris which, according to Amy Boutin, depicts a monocultural, nostalgic and romanticised dreamscape of 1920s and 2010s Paris. So to simply apply the idea of the white male walking in the centre of Paris and as the flaneur in contemporary terms is actually to whitewash the experience of walking in the city and it excludes the experiences of black and minority ethnic groups, women, non-binary and queer explorers of the city from our depictions of Paris. Similarly, Chris Jenks reports that the dislike of the Flaneur, in part, actually stems from the fact that he can't be pinned down. So it's clear that there remains a dislike of this fetishised Flaneur's lifestyle, and this tension is replicated in contemporary scholarship within cultural studies, since no one solid definition of what the contemporary flaneur actually is has been agreed upon, from the physical makeup of the figure to the relationship with the city. This has been echoed particularly in recent years by critics within literature, urbanism, and sociology, who have offered alternative approaches to the flaneur, one of which is in the form of the flaneuse, a concept emerging from literature such as Lauren Elkin's flaneuse which shines a light on women walking the city throughout history. And actually, just a few weeks ago, we saw the release of Leslie Cairn's book, Feminist City, which argues for a manifesto of a harassment-free city through which women are free to navigate. We can and should go further, though, to detach ourselves from this figure of the flaneur as a 21st century one. The flaneurs aside, within mainstream contemporary culture, The verb flaner, for example, has been increasingly used more generally to denote walking. Not walking in the city, not walking in Paris, but just walking. I noticed this recently in various mainstream fiction and actually found it very interesting. If you're a keen reader of French crime fiction or French novels more generally, you'll probably remember the success of such novels as Joël Diquet's, now translated into English, the truth of the Harry Cabert affair. I noticed when reading that the verb flanner is frequently used as a substitute for a stroll or a walk, especially in the book within the context of the picturesque college campuses and seaside towns. I've also noticed a marked increase in the marketisation of the term flannery. Recently, I spent a few months in Berlin and noticed that the tagline for the German shopping mall Bikini Berlin is Hier flanert Berlin or this is where flannery takes place in Berlin. This marketization of the term suggests that the commodification of goods remains an integral part of the experience of flannery in contemporary society. To further dislocate the position of the contemporary Flanner from its 19th century counterpart, it has been suggested that they are actually not concerned with physical location, unlike the dandified walker born from Housemanisation, but rather, Regine Robin, for example, proposes that the place for the contemporary flaneur is actually online. Robin argues that this flanerie has become digital. So unlike in the 19th century, the contemporary flaneur is concerned with the screen through which they navigate space. This contemporary flaneur, according to Boyman, is actually sedentary. Noting that the philosopher Baudrillard tied the flaneur to the armchair in front of the TV set. The stroller does not stroll anymore. Baudrillard's claim that the immobility of the flaneur renders them into a state of disappearance. Unlike the dandy, they're not visibly present on the streets. Yet, interestingly, other critics have differing opinions on this. Susan Buckmortz's interpretation of the postmodern flaneur, for example, is that the experience of flânerie is actually now sold in 2 or 4 week packets to tourists. So is the real flâneur now the city tourist? In comparison with the traditional 19th century flâneur, this postmodern version is readily available to buy. In late capitalist society, this seems a natural progression from the emergence of the bourgeoisie and globalization. So we've established that nineteenth-century flânerie is a pretty clear-cut identity. The contemporary flâneur, not so much. But surely there must be other forms of navigating the city that have also been discussed in French culture and society. And the answer is yes. The twentieth century has also seen the leftist and situationist international's creation of the dérive, or the drift, a practice which falls under the umbrella term of psychogeography, defined by Guy Debord. As the study of the precise laws and specific effects of the geographical environment, consciously organised or not, on the emotions and behaviour of individuals. This walking practice was much more exclusive and much more intense than that of Flannery, and its goals were much more radical, such as, for example, the goal of changing an entire city's identity. As a practice, it was much more playful and also a lot more ironic than that of Flannery. Despite this, though, it's clear that there are some parallels to be drawn between Flannery and this practice. There are also forms of resistance in both these practices. In Flannery, the postmodern Flanner has evolved into a resistant figure in that walking is seen as an against-the-grain activity, especially in Baudrillard's figure, resisting hegemonic images, whilst the situationists resist Flannery as tourism. Whilst we don't really have the time to discuss this in much detail today, the conclusion to be drawn is that the derive was only really practised by a small group, the Situationist International, and its impact was not as greatly felt as that of Flannery. So finally then, what next for this term Flannery? Do we refer to the flâneur as a tourist? Does the figure of the white middle-class man really deserve to hold the title of flaneur in contemporary Paris? Is it time to move on actually from the obsession with this term? I think that it is. In a particularly exciting time for the city, we're witnessing the uptick of exploring the city by bike through investment in bicycle lanes and a promise to expand on these plans during Mayor Anne Hidalgo's second term. The city's expansion plan known as the Grand Paris plan, we'll also see the creation of more metro lines and tramways to carry passengers, not only to the center of the city, but also in between suburbs. To revert back to his most common understanding at the core of the term, exploring the city in a leisurely manner is key to our spatial and cultural understanding of the city. And this exploration is much more expansive and exciting than the implications of the word flaneur would lead us to believe.
1: As always, donations keep the podcast going, so if you would like to make a one-time donation or become a patron, please consider doing so. Thank you very much for your continued support.
2: Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X.